Locked and Down, The Reset with Cindy Paluta is brought to you by Salal. Mind, body, Salal. 702 presents Locked and Down podcast. The Reset with Cindy Paluta. Welcome everyone to Locked and Down The Reset. I'm Cindy Paluta. Thank you so much for listening in today. We're continuing our journey to a reset and today we're talking about the children. In past episodes, we focus largely on adults, but there's an emotionally vulnerable portion of our society that has definitely been affected and it's those in adolescence. So we're talking about those between the ages of 10 and 19 years old. It's too soon to know the long-term physical effects that this virus has had on our bodies. But when I speak to other parents, it's very hard not to hear about the strain placed on our children's mental health during lockdown. Researching this podcast, I saw that a number of studies done on teenagers showed an increase in depression and anxiety, negative changes in sleeping patterns, withdrawal from family and friends, and increasing aggressive behavior. Even my followers on social media had something to say when I asked them. And you can still comment if you want to on Twitter using the hashtag TheReset. So could it have been our children who took the biggest mental hit from COVID or were they already having to deal with so much in the world around them? To help me make sense and you make sense of all of this today is psychologist Leanne Lurie. Welcome, Leanne. Thank you for having me. Our teens were subjected to a near two-year curtailing of their socialization um, thanks to lockdown. From those you've studied, how did that affect the teen social dynamics? So we know that during those formative years, that social interaction plays a huge part in your identity, in forming that sense of self, in being able to relate to the other and actually receiving feedback Mm. about your personality, about how you connect with other people. It's basic as I'm talking to you now, I'm smiling back at you, you're smiling back at me, you know that we're in sync, you can see that what I'm saying is funny or not, and you can see that. Whereas during lockdown, a lot of children didn't have that. A, they were stuck at home with just their parents and a sibling, and they're not getting that social connection with their friends because not every child had access to the internet or social media to interact. Firstly that, And I think, secondly, I think not all children and adolescents were completely au fait with the technological demands that were then placed on them. And if they were expected to sit and do online schooling, then the thought of having to then socialise on the same online platforms afterwards may have also been far too overwhelming. But we see that the way children socialise, especially online, and the way that they socialise in person is two different things. So they'll have these active communicate, these active conversations, should I say, on WhatsApp or Snapchat or Instagram or all of that. But then you put them in a room together and nobody knows what to do. Firstly that. And secondly, we also know that online it's boundaryless. You Mm. can say things to each other that you wouldn't necessarily say in person. And at the same time, you can also inflict harm. And, you know, adolescents being the impulsive bunch that they are, often don't foresee the consequences of their actions Mm. and that it's actually going to be a permanent thing. Yeah. And just that empathy that they, they're they missing. And I mean, even as adults, we see it. If we post something online, some random stranger comments something mean, we take it so personally and they don't have the emotional capacity to deal with that. And yeah. because you, you can't judge tone on a WhatsApp message, but for an adolescent, it's that much more catastrophic. Because they read it so big in their yes. heads. And also, if you are isolated from everyone, then you've got far too much time to also think and overthink and you don't have the physical, real-life interaction mm. where you can actually see see whether the person is okay with you or whether they're upset with you. Yeah, yeah. 
this year, the kids were all sent back to school, the adolescents, they, their masks came off after a short while, and now they're interacting again. How do we get them to form those social connections? Because they missed really two very crucial years in their social development. I think firstly, we have to look at where the focus is. Is the focus purely on their academics and actually catching up their skills that the schools believe they may have lost? Or is there also room to choreograph situations where there's lots of like meets and greets, opportunities to actually get to know one another, courageous conversations around how they were impacted by the pandemic. So that also becomes a point of connection with their peers. And as as parents, as caregivers, are we then also creating those opportunities? Are we encouraging them to go out and see friends? Or are we still riddled with the same like fear and panic around COVID? Or is our focus on our child then actually just focusing on academics and getting through? You touched on such a good point there. It's having those conversations with the children about how they came through COVID. Sometimes when you address it with them, they're so COVID fatigued and they actually just want to block it out and they don't want to talk about it. But it can be quite important to find out how they're actually feeling about it and and how it impacted them. Or do we just ignore it because kids are resilient and we move on? And I think we like to... What's the word I'm looking for? Almost like protect ourselves under the banner of kids are resilient and they'll move on. Yeah. But meanwhile, the lasting psychological effects of COVID are going to be studied for years to come. It's a very difficult, confusing time as it is without COVID. Mm. I mean, I remember being a teenager, the angst, oh my gosh, and the depressing music you listen to and the heartbreak and the pain and the drama, all of it. And it's already confusing and it's already Mm. hard. So is it fair to link an increase in depression in our teenagers to COVID? So without making a generalization, I think we have to treat it on a case-by-case basis. I think that if an adolescent prior to COVID had a tendency towards depression or anxiety or a significant family history of depression and anxiety? Was it COVID and the trauma associated with that that brought it out? And then for other adolescents, you know, if they are very gregarious and extroverted and being with their friends is really important, the forced withdrawal can also bring about a significant amount of depression and anxiety. And we also know that, you know, parents were, they were battling, they were trying to work from home, trying to manage a household, Mm. look after the kids, playing teacher, mother, all the different roles. And so very often the mental health struggles in their children through no fault of their own actually went unnoticed. And now we're suddenly seeing it come come to the fore because perhaps parents are, I don't want to say less stressed, <laughs> it just no. feels like we're all the same, just autopilot. But we've kind of had a time to go, okay, you're back out at school, etc. You know, and kids are perhaps reaching out to their peers and the school and their teachers, which is so important. Mm. And if your child does come to you and say, I've got these feelings, as a parent, we can't shy away from it. Mm. No, and I think that our gut response very often is, oh, no, please don't worry. It's, it's going to be okay. I don't know why you feel that way. Yeah. And that can also contribute towards a sense of being misunderstood mm. and that much more lonely. It's such a fine line because you want to go, it's okay, it's not that serious, you're just having a sad day. But at the same time, you do want to make their feelings feel valid 
It's not easy parenting. <laughs> no, it's not easy. <laughs> so let's talk some um, some remedies, perhaps. Should our reset be about getting out and trying to normalize activities with our teenagers? I know that there are some teenagers who have gone out and started socializing, you know, but there's some that are still a little bit anxious and nervous. Is that normal? I think it's 100% normal. You know, I think as much as we like to believe that this pandemic is gone, well, we're going to sit with it for years and years to come. And I think that for many adolescents that witnessed or heard about like the loss of significant friends or, or family members, that angst remains. Mm -hmm. And so the rug was pulled out from underneath them. And so the idea of going back into the world that is not the world that they knew before can create huge amounts of social anxiety. And they almost like they'd rather avoid it. Yeah, the amount of value you place on what your peers say to you mm. is huge. Is huge, huge at this age. And many adolescents also reported that their friend group started to shift during lockdown. So they may have been excluded from a WhatsApp group that previously they may have been part of, or they may have had to go into school for one lesson and a friend that they counted as a best friend then suddenly ignored them and they had no idea what they'd done wrong, nor was there any opportunity to actually hash it out. So I think certainly, I think we have to kind of look at the personality of our adolescent, yeah. see what they are open to, and again, help to create a situation that is both conducive to them feeling comfortable and simultaneously towards regaining the developmental trajectory of socialising, connecting with other people. And how do I, if perhaps I had an adolescent who was very sociable before, because it, it's very easy to form habits and being at home, you weren't allowed to walk in the street. You weren't allowed to go to gym. You weren't allowed to do, you know, go to your friend's house, etc. You start to almost get into the habit of just being really relaxed at home. And how do we motivate our adolescents who are now quite comfortable actually, because it's quite great being at home on the couch. Must be honest, I would have stayed on the couch much longer in adolescence <laughs> if I'd known then what I know now. But how do we motivate them to get out and do a hobby and find that interest again? With great difficulty. Yeah, thank goodness you said that. With great, with great difficulty because I think you are going to encounter a significant amount of resistance, mm. you know, especially during that critical phase of their lives. You know, their, their devices are also what connect them with other people. So as much as we can talk about the ills of them, it's also great. And why do I actually then have to bother? Yeah. And so it may also start with then framing something as a family activity, knowing that it may be something that resonates with your teen and they may then want to continue with it on their own or roping in other friends to join them. And so they then get both the social interaction and the experience of doing something like together. You spoke about family dynamics. Um, how much of a role would a sibling play? Let's say I've got two children and the one I think might be suffering from depression. How does that dynamic within the family work? Or is it really case by case and very different? I think it's certainly case by case. Well, I think what lockdown did is I think it intensified dynamics that were already present in family systems. Mm. And I think that, you know, some people say, right, it, it may have brought, for example, their children closer, or it may have also like pushed them apart. Because one may have been suffering from depression, which in adolescence very often presents as anger and irritability and outbursts. And the other one may have, you know, felt like, wait, like what's actually happened to my sibling? I'm being attacked. I'm being attacked. Where mm. have they gone? Mm. And so the trust in that relationship is also, is also broken down. I think, again, I think, 
you know, for parents, I think they were also struggling with their own mental health. Yeah. So then being able to actually pick up on the nuances of your child's mental health, I think was that much more difficult. And I think for many of us, we wanted to attribute it to, no, it's just an effect of isolation and being in COVID. My child does not have depression. Yeah. And I think that's exactly it. Parents don't understand that this is not just a phase. So I think the concern for me as a parent would be, how do I start the real conversation with my kids? And how do I know what is genuine depression? When do I get the help is the question I guess I'm asking. Okay. And from my side, I'd say the sooner the better. It doesn't make you a parent that's overreacting. It's putting measures in place before the unthinkable potentially happens. Yeah. You know, I think you are the experts on your child. You know what we like to call their baseline level of functioning was. And if you start to notice changes in their behavior, sleeping too much, sleeping too little, suddenly wearing like long sleeves in the heart of summer because perhaps they're hiding signs of self-harm, eating too much, eating too little. Less social interaction. Yes, less, less social interaction or other forms of escapist like behavior, you know, lying like, like in their room on, on a device, not interacting with anyone or, you know, they become involved in alcohol and drugs. Could there also be extreme isolation from the family? And then anger outbursts. Yes, anger outbursts, um, the child conveying, you know, a sense of helplessness, hopelessness. They feel useless. If you notice any change, sit down and have that conversation with your adolescent. But f- you have to do it in a way that's not going to elicit only yes and no answers. Oh, this is so hard, Leanne. <laughs> Gee whiskers. And also in a way that the adolescent is not going to feel judged. Coming up, a long-lasting reset of behavior isn't going to happen without buy-in. I want to hear from Leanne how we should be going about having real conversations with our kids to ensure a good chance of success. It's said that health is wealth and in the pursuit of wellness, many are looking beyond medicines that manage symptoms and choosing supplements that can provide real health solutions in support of more holistic lifestyles. Salal offers a comprehensive range that combines micronutrients with concentrated plant extracts. Only the highest quality ingredients to nourish your body and mind with essential vitamins for overall health. Mind. Body. Salal. Locked and Down Podcast. The Reset. With Cindy Paluta. Sometimes you could have an adolescent who is actually, um, if, if you had to go and get them help, you would find that they do have a form of depression, but they're functioning. They're absolutely functioning. And I think that's the scary part as a parent because you see your child, your child is functioning perfectly well. Their marks are good. They're eating every now and then an angry outburst, but who doesn't have one? I think we have them as adults. We just call it road rage. We don't call it temper tantrums <laughs> in adult world. But um, And then here you've got this adolescent who's doing that and you're trying to work out if it's hormones and emotions or is it drama at school or is my child suffering from depression. And I think for all of us, we like to focus on the positive. They're doing well at school. They're they're excelling. Like you said, they seem to be half functioning. And it's important to, to almost differentiate mood from personality. Your child may be depressed in terms of mood. They may feel down, but they also may have an A-type personality that doesn't allow them to sit in bed and mope. And they then have to get on with things, but use that much more mental energy 
because they're actually not coping. Would you say then that the important thing is to have conversations with your children, actually engage in their lives? And if you are a parent who's got a mental health issue, that might be incredibly difficult to do. And if you're a parent who doesn't believe in all this head stuff, emotion, feely, feely, touchy, feely stuff, that also might be very difficult to do. You've got to break that stigma. You do have to. And I think you have to almost get rid of the idea that they must pull up their socks and just get on with it. Mm. Because for them, it may feel like far bigger than you actually realize. And the stuff that you are encountering on the surface in terms of, let's say, outbursts or withdrawal may only be the tip of the iceberg in terms of what's actually going on underneath. Don't you find that the adolescents today are under way more pressure than we were? It's almost like, and I don't want to blame social media, but the world has become a smaller place. So you've got a seven-year-old who can play piano like a 33-year-old grown person, or you've got a golfer who's excelling at the age of 11, or a tennis player who's turned pro at 17, or somebody who's gone off to Harvard Business School at the age of 12. And I just find that because the world is smaller, it's so easy for our children to believe that that is the norm and that that's what they should be excelling to instead of just seeing that one person in isolation in a population of millions. Mm. I think they are under a lot more pressure and I often have to remind myself when sitting with an adolescent of how old they actually are yeah. because many, you know, you have conversations that you would that you would have with an adult with wisdom and, you know, pieces of knowledge that you wouldn't expect to hear from somebody as young as them. And I think we also I think we also forget how intuitive they are and how many dynamics they were actually able to pick up on, even if you didn't say anything, even if you turned the volume off in the room. And for them, because they don't have all the social and emotional skills to also filter it out, it becomes quite a heavy weight to bear. And they land up feeling incredibly helpless because they think, okay, my family, for example, is in dire straits and I can't do anything. I'm meant to be able to do something. It's exactly as you say right there. They pick up on a lot and we have conversations with our children. And because they are so mature in their responses, we think they are a lot older than they are. But they're children. They're children. They're children. And we also have to remember that an answer that is given very logically may not actually correspond to how they're feeling internally. And as a parent, it's okay if your child is downward spiraling. It's okay if your child's having anger outbursts, their mood has changed. And you kind of go, hang on a second, I think my child might have depression. Where would be the first place that a parent could turn to? So I think the South African Depression and Anxiety Group, I think, is an excellent resource to start at. You know, phone, speak to one of the qualified counsellors, and they can then say to you, right, from what you're describing, it sounds as if your child may or may not be suffering from this. Here's a list of referrals. A lot of referrals are also like on a sliding scale according to what you can afford. So you can also investigate further. That's the first thing. The second thing is have a community of other mothers and caregivers where you can talk about what you're noticing in your child and where you feel that they'll actually feel free to tell you the same, not to minimize what your child's going through, but to also give you a greater context because often what kids will tell their friends, they're not prepared to tell their parents. And then also to get the school involved. Mm. You know, what change in behavior are they seeing? Is your child overcompensating? Are they trying to perform, you know, with far greater pressure than before? Or is there a decline in academic performance? Are they the child that sits in at break by themselves, doesn't socialize with their peers? Or are they, you know, are they out there and they and they happy? Or are there incidences of, of bullying happening? That's a huge one. Huge. And so I think it's important that all systems and all stakeholders get involved. 
you also raised an important point that if you as a parent struggle with your own mental health, mm. it may be difficult to address your child's. And so to then almost take a step back and say, right, who else? Who's my next point of contact that my child responds to well, that I can get involved in the system mm. to actually like help my child on their journey towards like health? Yeah. But we as adults put ourselves under this unnecessary pressure to have this picture perfect life and everything's under control. If we actually all sat down and had honest conversations with each other, we could help each other mm. at the end of the day. When it comes to mental health, there isn't actually a one size fits all. So if I go and I speak to my friend Jane and Jane says, well, this is what you should do and it's X, Y, Z, that might have worked for her kid, but it's not going to work for mine. Mm. It's not one size fits all. No, it's not. And we can't apply a recipe. Some kids, for example, may respond well to being put on medication and having psychotherapy. Yeah. For other children, it may be psychotherapy alone. You know, for others, it may be, you know, seeking other mediums, perhaps they may resonate with a coach more or somebody, you know, in a buddy system. And so I think, you know, we can't be formulaic in that regard. Yeah. And when you start to see that, you know, that twinkle, that sparkle back in your child, then you'll know that something's working. I think also you also have to try and keep the conversation open with a person that's working with your child. Yeah. And as much as they are obligated to keep your teen's confidentiality, we also have to work systemically. That's actually raised a very good point. If, for example, let's say I decide my child can go off and see a therapist because they have to have consent up to a certain age. Yeah, they can consent from the age of 12. Yeah. And let's say the therapist is talking to my child. Is the therapist obligated if it is something serious, maybe at home or whatever, to, to take it up with the parent or do they actually on the side of the child? So the first thing is that if the child presents as a risk to themselves or others, we are ethically obliged to break confidentiality. What I say to my adolescents is when I am going to break confidentiality, I will discuss it with you before. Mm. So you will also know what my motivation behind it is. Yeah. If there are allegations of abuse, we then also have to follow the correct channels in, to in terms of reporting and social services and who do we then get involved. A child also may very often not feel comfortable with us calling a parent into a space that they have regarded as safe. And they also may fear what the repercussions are going to be at home mm. if a parent is called into that session. I think so it's something we have to work with skillfully, carefully and with the right people involved. So if you had to give advice to parents whose kids have struggled or are struggling because as a result of the last two years, what would you say? It's important that you remember that their brains are still developing. Their brains are still forming those neural networks that are going to lay the foundation for the rest of their lives. And whilst you may feel that there's a stigma associated with a diagnosis, if you don't address it now, you may land up with an adult that lands up being far more dependent on your care and almost a, a failure to launch because the things that were critical in those formative years were not addressed. Mm. Do you also have a safe space of your own where you can unpack this to help you come to terms with something? You may have had a beautiful, happy, wonderful child and suddenly they are the complete opposite. Mm. And accepting it doesn't necessarily mean that you approve of it. But your lack of approval can also be used as a drive towards getting proactive and doing something in the best interests of your child. And you'll know. Instinctively, you'll know. You'll know. 
Yeah. But thank you so much, Leanne, um, for your time today. You do have a Facebook page, Leanne Lurie, um, where people can find your details. And as you were saying, if anybody else out there does need help, you can contact SADAG. That's the South African Depression Anxiety Group. They can point you in the right direction. There's numbers 0800-456-789. You can also contact Lifeline by going to their website and requesting free counseling, although you cannot counsel children under a certain age. So the Lifeline counseling is more for adults. But from me, Cindy Paluta, you can con- be in contact with me. Tell me what you've thought about this podcast series. Tell me what you've thought about this episode. Use the hashtag The Reset and let us know. Thank you for your time. And remember, there's help out there if you just ask for it. 702 presents Locked and Down Podcast. The Reset with Cindy Paluta. Locked and Down The Reset with Cindy Paluta was brought to you by Salel. Mind, body, Salel.